You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello, and welcome to episode 318 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. And we have with us tonight very, very special guests, Toby Poser, John Adams, and Zelda Adams. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hey. Howdy. <laughs> uh, we... We are super excited to have you with us tonight because uh, we just did our review of Hellbender, and we talked for what? What was it, Dan? Like two hours on uh, on an eighty-two minute movie? Yeah, because Eric wasn't there, so it was only two hours. So, oh come on now. <laughs> Although he did join us at the very, very end, so we have about four minutes worth of Eric giving his forty-five second thoughts. Yes. So that's uh, true. Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely popped in at the end. <laughs> literally the last possible second he jumped in uh and and yeah glad you did but yeah we absolutely adore hellbender uh caught it at the knoxville horror film festival where it won best direction best screenplay best acting palm de gore best everything it basically won knoxville horror film festival and uh and and very deservedly so it was such an amazing movie and and i could not wait for us to do a full review on it and we did that and was like you know what i'm not done talking about it we need to do more hellbender coverage because because it needs covered more so very very thankfully uh y'all decided to join us tonight so thanks again we really appreciate you doing this with us so thank you it means a lot yeah and we had such a good time at knoxville it was fast um we had hustled hustled across country to get them we were so glad we did because it was the highlight of our festival circuit and we can't wait to go back to the central cinema and everyone was so cool and now we get to meet you and and i know you're dan you're not in knoxville but uh like <laughs> he's going to come down we, we, we appreciate it because we're usually an afterthought we're we're basically part of canada at this point so. <laughs> just slowly and slowly getting like absorbed yeah. into canada which you know yeah. at this point in uh history may not be a bad thing <laughs> just true. a short john strauss a very not well guarded border that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I am super glad that you all enjoyed uh, Knoxville Horror Film Festival because it's still a fairly small fest, but everyone that we've talked to uh, that's been there is just like, yeah, this is one of the best ones, and and we absolutely adore it. And we're not just saying that because they sponsor us, because we've been saying that for years, even before they were like, hey, we should sponsor you. It's like, yes, yes, you should. So there's a very, very genuine love for them. Uh, and, and it always makes me happy, like legit happy when people say they had fun there. So, so that is awesome. Um, yeah, sadly, neither Eric nor Dan were able to be at Knoxville, but I was there. And during the Q&A, when anytime William was like, all right, are there any more questions? I kept being like, I... 
I have so many questions, but how do I distill all of this down into like a Q&A question? I get one shot. Seriously. And I was like, okay, do I, do I want to ask about the Yonic imagery? Do I want to ask about like the uh, parent-child relationships? Do I want to ask about, you know, just like how fucked up this movie gets sometimes? I, I, I'm just going to sit here silently with my thoughts. <laughs> exactly. No, what you said is we're just going to track you guys down and have you come onto our show instead. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that works for us. Yeah, but speaking of that, I mean, the the, the um, audience at Knoxville was a terrific audience. Like, it's really fun when we go to these different festivals. And what we loved about Knoxville and when we drove home, we talked about is how informed that audience was. Like, they were really, they're like, uh, you know, horror aficionados. And so mm. it's just fun to play for them because we learn we learn from the audience we learn from the festivals and Knoxville was exceptional in that way like driving away learning what we did well learning maybe where we can improve stuff like that is really cool when you're at like at a place like Knoxville and you have an audience like that audience it was really a great experience for us Oh, yeah. Everyone there absolutely loves their movies. Uh, do you remember anything specific uh, in terms of like the things that you took away from Knoxville that you want to start incorporating into future movies? Ooh, that's a good one. What do you think? <clears throat> you know, just something that popped in my mind was I know her. I can't remember her real name, but I know her Instagram name is like Hag. Yeah, Hag, Hag Cult. Uh, Hi, Cole. Yeah, her artwork was so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that was something that I, I mean, I think really stuck stuck out for me. And and we're always looking for good artwork to promote the film and in within the film. So I really loved a lot of what she had going on. I also remember talking to a lot of people after our film screened, and so many people were just really intrigued by our film and loved it and a lot of people were saying you know like keep doing exactly what you're doing because like that's why it's so special and like on the car ride home we're always talking about like you know reflecting on what people say and I think like it really showed us like hey like for our next film we really do need to stay true to our Adams family style because people really like it but still bump up like our production like we always talk about that too like you know a lot of the questions are well what's next and and what's going to change and um you know it's 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 an interesting spot that we're at right now because we want to we want to remain like this small unit because we have such a good time and we just love making movies together but you know like you like like in a place like knoxville People are like, okay, so, you know, like, what's next? That's always the question is what's next and what's going to change and how's it going to get bigger? And it's a completely valid question. And it's a question that we're asking ourselves. And so we've started our next movie and, um, you know, all those, all that, all those thoughts and all that energy about like, what's next and how is it going to improve are the things that we're thinking about now, you know, what can we, Mm -hmm. what can we continue improving on and what, maybe could we have done better in Hellbender? And so Not much. You know, we're trying to lose. It. Oh, well, that's incredibly <laughs> nice. That's incredibly nice. I, know, I, feel, I feel like when you say that you're going to try to bump up production values, that you're just going to take on like three additional jobs on each. Like, that's exactly what's going on. Money. It's like, instead of, spe- instead of like, yes, that's okay. You know, yes. so we don't have to talk about production value anymore. <laughs> So uh, when I when I when I when I was trying to describe this film to a friend because I'm a child of the '90s, I, I worked 
worked in a video store in the 90s. So everything for me goes through a 90s movies lens. Um, I was like, just imagine an entire family of Robert Rodriguez <laughs> where they are literally do, where each member of the family is doing those like nine jobs that he does on every film that he does. So it, it's yeah, please don't ever stop doing that. It's just it's it's so unique and it's so cool. And it's I, I feel like instead of more big blockbusters, we just need more people doing this this level of film where you're just allowed yeah. to truly do whatever you want and you have the capabilities of doing it without any any studio notes or interference mm. or anything like that. You can keep it very pure. Well, I can't tell you how much that that means to hear because um, that, that really does sound a lot like, I mean, if you could have seen us shooting yesterday, you would have been like, oh my God, this is so funny. We were wearing so many hats and it was raining. And we were in period costume and we're working with like 1931 Chevy and dogs are running around and, you know, and Toby's in an apple tree and <laughs> trying to get this apple and it's raining and it was just great, you know, and, and it was just so fun. I think one of the things that we're learning also, like there's not much tension in any of our sets, but one of the things that I think we've really learned over the years is, you know, you may get it and you may not. And, and, and it's okay because if you don't get it, it's a rehearsal. And I think we've just kind of like compared to the very first movie that we shot and like, you know, Hellbender. And now this next one is it's like the shooting just goes so much. They're very smooth because we can fail. And then mm-hmm. the is not going anywhere. Yeah. And yeah. neither is the rain. <laughs> uh yep definitely written a lot down here too uh so when you talk about like doing bigger and better things and like what's next and and sort of upping that production i don't want you to like i don't want that production to be upped too much uh and part of the reason and dan and i spend again a solid two hours talking about some of this about a lot of this so much of what makes Hellbender so great is that family dynamic, not just like the uh, the family production of it, but you can feel the family in that film. And I have a lot of very specific questions about like, oh, did this thing in uh, was this thing informed by this or, you know, was this a real part of life or whatever? But all of them kind of stem around the fact that I feel like there is a part of you in your movies. I don't feel like your movies are just like, hey, what's the coolest visuals that we can make or like what's the grossest gore that we can do? It feels like it is we as a family have stories to tell. We're going to tell f-ed up versions of them because that's just so much more fun. But yeah. <laughs> it feels like the stories that you're telling are family stories uh and Mm. and i'll use this as a specific example um to me could be way off base but to me when at knoxville you were talking about how um lulu went off to college and like wasn't able to be uh, as much of a part of things anymore it's like oh this movie very much now feels like an empty nest sort of film where it's like, all right, uh, Toby, you don't want your kids going anywhere, which is why like you're not letting your daughter leave. And then at the end, spoilers, by the way, for anyone who's listening, we're going to spoil Hellbender. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought about not spoiling it in this episode, but there's just too many details that I want to uh, ask about. So if you did not listen to our review and you're only just catching this now, we very very strongly recommend uh, watching Hellbender as soon as it comes out 
do you know, do you have a specific date for when it's going to be out on Shutter, or just sometime early next year? We, it's, we don't know the exact date, but it'll be February 2022. Okay, so yeah, anyone listening to this, um, stick around until February and watch Hellbender, and then come back and listen to this interview. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, at the end, when um, when Lulu is down in that little torture cave, and she's like, help me, somebody help me, I can't move, I can't move, I can't leave. It's like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. And, <laughs> but I don't necessarily think that that was like that intentional. But with one daughter going off to college, with another daughter growing up, I should probably mention my background is psychology. It feels like it's impossible. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> He's here to psychologist. We forget this. This is going to be a problem. We're all psychologists and social workers. <laughs> so this is actually an intervention. Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah, uh, you know what? That actually does inform a lot. This this podcast is a social worker, a psychologist, and a journalist. Those aren't necessarily <laughs> our actual jobs, but those are what we do uh, through a background in in education and just in our hearts. Well, the good news is, is Zelda is now 18 years old, so CPS can't mess with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so now and we can just tell the truth. I was like, uh, what is New York Department of Human Services on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just, so you just want to kick right into the electric complex, don't you? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It, it is definitely something that, uh, you know, kind of shines through in the movie uh, and we a little bit. <laughs> but, but yeah, so like with some of that, with uh, with these elements that whether they're intentional or not, I feel like if you start straying too far from like your family and, and the stories that you have to tell, I don't, I don't feel like they're going to be as good. And I don't necessarily mean that in terms of like, I feel like you're going to make bad movies. Uh, Dan and I talked about this a little bit where like if this had been two guys in the woods if Hellbender had been a father and son in the woods that would have been awesome but I feel like I would have seen that movie before I feel like it would have ended with just you know a big wizard fight just with everything being destroyed (laughs) which would have been awesome but I've seen that movie before Hellbender has something so special and so captivating and so emotional about it that I feel like if you stray too far from that, it's going to lose some of that magic. And again, I don't mean that in a bad way. I hope that mm. the sincerity is coming across in what I'm saying and not getting lost in the don't sell out because that, that's not how I mean it. <laughs> no, I definitely think that you're uh, right. I think that you said it best with like the whole like going off to college. Lulu's gone off to college and I'm a senior, I'm about to go off to college. So I know that both of my parents are like, oh, you know, that feeling of just wanting to hold on a little bit longer. And me, I, I'm, I'm excited for the future that uh, is beyond me. And Lulu is excited too, going off to college. So it's so fun, like pouring blood over that family theme um, mm-hmm. through Hellbender. And all of our past, we made three other dramas where, uh, there were constant family themes in it. And then we tried making one where it wasn't exactly us. It was called The Shoot. And like, we did up the production. And I think that was, that's our least favorite film. And, yeah. the, and the kids aren't in that one. It's, yeah. it's just lacking. So uh, that was like a painful learning experience. But now we know like, yo, like we have to stick to what is us. Um, and yeah. I think a good... Um, 
I think a, I think a good thing for me to say now is when when I say I think that sometimes I misuse the word produ- or the two words production value because we are not um, we we can only make movies as a family about families because we're writing and doing our our movies and we're the actors and actresses and so the, it's never is going to change and the thing is is it's it's true like the movie that we're working on now is. Uh, is about a mother, a mother, a father, and a daughter. Which is the first time we actually ever play a full entire family. Right, mm. exactly. It's yeah. one of us <laughs> an outsider. In this, in the movie that we're working on now, we're all, yeah, we are the family. And um, I think I think it's important to, like, so So to answer what you're talking about, are, like, are we going to try to sell out and make, and try to, like, make a Marvel movie? No, because that isn't what's we're enjoying so much like we're enjoying going to Knoxville with our little movie that we loved making that we spent a whole year living in an RV together doing and things like that. But I think what, when I say production value, I think really what I'm, what, what maybe we can find the word tonight or the two words is I just, we just want to improve in our storytelling. Like, so that it's not, we don't want to have like bigger explosions or more expensive actors because we just want to improve on like what we're doing so that it just improves. It's, you know, it's, we want to tell a really fun story and engage the audience and, and, and we want to have fun and we want the audience to have fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's interesting because we were just watching the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. We like and say, you know what, this movie or like this part of it is so much better because it's all static or this part of it is better. They're anonymous and it's so mm-hmm. intimate. Like we just want to learn like those extra little talents that we think can up well, the scale I, of our film. And in the horror field, like we saw an arrow go th- in Buster Scruggs, like there's the hanging scene and an arrow goes right through the guy's <laughs> yeah. neck. It's, it's freaking great. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, okay, like we want an arrow. We want to actually in our next movie, we want to put a poker through somebody's neck. And so it's like, and we want to do it well. So it's right. things like that while you're still telling a story about a family. Well, I mean, if you can get Tom Waits to dig graves in your next film, it's it's going to be automatically improved, just in general. But, but it's interesting. The deeper you, you dig, this, too, with Tom Waits. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. your, your, your effects work. And I, I, one of the most jarring moments for me, and it was jarring in a very good way, in the deeper you dig, is the saw. You know, the, the self-decapitation. Oh, yeah. And that was just incredibly well pulled off for... You know, it's one of those oh, where I like I'm stopping, I'm looking for the seams in it, you know, and it, it's like, wow, that was just really, really well done for I can't imagine what was a large budget for your films, but mm. it was an incredibly effective, you know, piece. <laughs> so yeah, we're not going to do that. Keep doing that. Cause good. That's our guy Trey Lindsay. And so he's our he's our fifth family member because he's a great friend. <laughs> And he's a yes guy. And every time we're like, hey, do you think you like, I want to cut off my head. Do you think you could do that? Like, oh, yeah, I can cut it off. I can cut it off lots of ways. Do you want it to fly off or do you want it to drop? Or, do, you know, is this going to be really funny? And so it's just like really fun. He's a real part of the family. So as soon as we were watching Buster Scruggs and we saw 
saw this arrow go through the neck. It was like, well, freeze frame, reverse, film it, send it to Trey. Trey, this is what we want the poster to look like. And I'll bet you if I go to my phone right now and read you Trey's text, it'll be like, dude, oh, my God. Yeah, that's really great. So what we're going to have to so it's all just fun. Yeah, that's great. It like, seems like that's what all effects guys are, are like in real life, <laughs> that they're just ready for anything to just throw me the words you've got. I'll figure out a way to do it. Yeah, Everyone yeah. needs that, that um, Greg Nicotero type of guy <laughs> when they're doing that. Yeah, it, it's so awesome because that's one of the things like I've been kind of like that's been rattling around in my head. It's like you guys are able to do so much with so little. Like, you know, I mean, being that we are a podcast and we do stuff through film festivals a lot. We, we, we watch a lot of independent films. We watch a lot of like DIY stuff. And, you know, like going into these movies, you, you know, there's a certain expectation. And like when I started watching The Deeper You Dig, I was like, holy shit, this is on another level from what I expect from this type of movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's like, I, I can't imagine like how much you could do if you had one of those bigger budgets. But the trade off is that typically you're going to have to smother your voice a little bit. And that's ultimately what I think works so well in in a movie like hellbender like i was thinking like one of my favorite things about hellbender is kind of the the lore that you've built out um and and how you kind of hint at it but you never really like there's no scene that you would get in a typical big budget movie where you have like some random third person come in to like read from a book and give you like the whole backstory of everything it's like no you kind of just flesh out the world and make it feel organic and real without like giving too many details and i think that's that makes it so much more evocative in your in your style of story. Is I mean, is that intentional? Like, is do you like kind of like build out like all of the lore and then just try and figure out what works well into the story? Like, is there more yeah, that we don't actually see? That's so intuitive, um, and I love hearing that because we really it was very important for us to create our own mythology here, and not mm-hmm. we were influenced by things. In fact, I did a lot of research on some of your you know original kind of women from you know Lilith and Eve to Shakti and Kali the destroyer and Lamia the Libyan serpent mm. goddess that I loved and was incredibly influenced by those but in the end it's stuff that very few people I think would notice I'm sure you guys because of your background probably and that you talk about it for two hours probably really delved in could delve into all that stuff that but a lot of people I, I'm not sure they do but I feel like if the intention is kind of there under it or almost subliminal, it's going to come mm. through in some way. And, and that was important for us. And a fun thing that we learned from the deep you dig was, so the deep you dig is um, the seven circles are a metaphor for the seven stages of uh, grief. grief. Mm. And so when we were first writing it, like Toby's really great at, at wanting to have like really the meat on the bones before we do too much. And we were trying to figure out what's a good vehicle to, for that metaphor. And so she had a friend who does tarot cards and we talked to her and she was like, oh, tarot cards are really, a, would be a good vehicle for what you're talking about because they're open to interpretation. Like a card mm-hmm. does mean something, you know, they all mean something, but different facets of the tarot card reading community believe different things about different cards. So mm-hmm. when you flip a card, you can use it to build your own like mythology in a sense. So we started to like the deeper you dig was where we got to at least get our feet wet with, 
building a mythology. When we got to Hellbender, Toby was definitely like, hey, we shouldn't use the word witch. We don't want to be witches. Like, I don't want to make a witch movie, you know, she said. And she was like, let's, so let's make, let's create these creatures that aren't human. They're just like one step above on the food chain, Mm -hmm. right above human. And that was really fun because um, that also got, it allows us to ask that question about if, if your nature is quote evil, isn't it, shouldn't you be evil? Like humans think that hellbenders are evil because hellbenders feed on their fear. And so it was a fun thing to be able to use by building our own mythology and putting them up above humans. It's fun because that's why we use the allegory of like the wolf and the mm. sheep or the lamb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And yeah, that's where we kind of wanted to push that like nature versus nurture, like uh, nature. What's yeah, yeah, exactly what you just said. Yeah. Nature versus what is it? Nature. You guys tell me. <laughs> yeah, you got it. I, yeah. no, I, uh, Zelda, you you delivered that speech so well. Truth. It was oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it felt very innocent, yet completely menacing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, it's a valid point, too. Like, it's the kind of thing that, like, when you when you say it, it you know, it, it's not like a typical villainous kind of monologue. It's like. I mean, I feel like she's actually making a good point. And there's something that's yeah. so what, what I love about Hellbender is like how messy is not the right word, but how like you allow yourselves to kind of get into all these different like morally gray aspects, <laughs> what we would think is morally gray. But really, like I mean, like the ending of that movie is so tragic, but also there's something kind of empowering about it. Like it, <laughs> as a parent, it's like this is kind of what we want for our children. Like we raise our children to be independent and they are supposed to leave the nest, you know, like that's ultimately what we want, but there is still something so heartbreaking about that when they live up to their true potential and have to leave. And I, and I just love the, the, they're they're supposed to, they're supposed to go to town, but not leave us in a womb in a cedar chest, dark place. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they just do that to us emotionally. Exactly. Yeah. So I, oh my God, there are so many things that I want to talk about and I am trying to either rein all of it in or at least be coherent with how I'm asking all of it. Um, so I'll just start with, with some of this. Uh, first off, the acting is top notch throughout Hellbender. Uh, and very sadly, I did not have a chance to watch any of your other films before recording tonight. Again, I have a, a kid with a croup, so I didn't have nearly as much uh, time to actually do some of the background research as I wanted to. But throughout Hellbender, Dan and I talked about this a ton where there's so many little components that the way that it's delivered absolutely sells it uh you know like one of my favorite moments just because of how simple uh but how powerful it is is during uh you know the same scene where you're talking about you know it's in the animal's nature to eat and so it's in the hellbender's nature to just destroy um when zelda says uh yes uh consume not destroy um crap i'm trying to remember the um the, the specific line it's something like um beautiful what's our nature no it, it's when uh when zelda first is talking about the uh the deer that had been eaten by the coyote and she's like oh it was beautiful uh, but tragic oh. yeah I, I forget yeah. exactly uh how it was phrased or like beautiful but but brutal or beautiful but i i forget the exact uh wording I think 
Yeah, but like the way that it's delivered, it's like, yeah, this was beautiful. This was awesome. Death is awesome. And like you start seeing some of that darkness of, you know, the the evil hellbender side of her coming out. But then in just like a split second, there's still that, oh, but I'm still a daughter and I don't want to get in trouble for like, you know, straying too far. And so then it's like, it's beautiful, but brutal. Like, it, it, again, it's so simple, yeah. but it was done so, so well. And there's so many moments like that. Um, related to that, uh, I, I'm actually really glad that you mentioned the tarot cards because like with tarot, it's not just that there are different meanings within the cards, uh, within the community, but it's also, you know, like the orientation of how they, they're flipped or, you know, like what comes before it. And so there's a lot of contextual information to lead to what does this card mean? It's not this card means this and only this and always this. And with, with Hellbender especially, it feels like so much of the movie is contextual. In terms of, like, uh, like Eric was saying, with building your own lore, you don't need to explain everything because you're building that world and the audience is along for that journey. And so they don't need an explanation of everything because you give them the next mm-hmm. piece when they need that piece. You also have the songs to tell the audience exactly what's going on. And I love, love the fact that it's either your first or second song of the movie. You tell the ending of the movie with, I'm not your maker, but I will destroy you. I'll have you begging on your knees. It's like, oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> ending of the movie. Love it. I love it. It's so, it's so smart. It's done so well. I love it. Also, and it's, and it's right over the image of her swimming down to hell. Like it's so great. Like because like that was no, no. She we did film it like that, but we wanted her to be swimming down the screen. Like yeah. you know, usually people are swimming. Like when they appear on the screen, they're appearing and they come up in the in swimming. Mm. Yeah. So it's fun to have her swimming down, and she's saying, "I'm, I'm going to have you begging on your knees." uh, It's actually really funny because some of the music has been made before the film and some of it was made during, but uh, it's funny because one thing that we learned when we were in like in the festival circuit, there's a scene where I kind of do, you know, a hellbender trick and it's kind of a fail, like where that stick goes straight into Mm -hmm. the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, Toby's character, the mom says, and that's why you can't leave the mountain. And then the next band scene is, yeah, I'm a mother mountain. Yeah. A yeah. motherfucking mountain. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> no, we actually, we actually commented on that because it was, it was an early indication of how the story was going to go because Toby, you made, you took the stick and you made a nice flower floats up. <laughs> Your stick starts bleeding and is sucked down to hell. That's true, yeah. Like immediately. <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 just a small little moment like that. It's a it's a little tell that that, that makes a little moral compass, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's cool. and then it, there's that song. I get my peace in Armageddon. Oh uh, yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. Your you know your fate and but very. Astute. I think that might be my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, talking about the the lyrics in the songs because I mean that's something that we really wanted to do. It's a it's a way that we don't have to explain shit to people. Like there doesn't have to be a lot of scenes. Like oh, we need to explain this part of the story. Like sometimes you know it can be it can be burdening to do that. So it was really advantageous to have these songs that just told you exactly what you needed to know mm. within a minute while you were watching some good visuals and. 
And the book as well, like the book we wanted, we did instead of having like to tell a big story, like the hellbenders in ancient times were blah, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. have, like, very quick imagery, a lot of subliminal shit that, that just really fast images that the people will kind of get a gist from. But they're, oh, they're important and, images. And like They're very important and they're also fun. Yeah. Oh, and every image you make. Every image is important. It wasn't just like, oh, let's just film like a pirate burning <laughs> ship. There's a reason that that woman's burning. I was just ship. about to say, please make that look cool. Make the pirate. <laughs> I need to know what the pirate thing was. <laughs> no, right? When I saw that, when we saw that clip, it definitely was like, yeah, uh, maybe this movie let's do a pirate <laughs> it's so funny because i was just sitting here thinking like yeah i love that you don't explain everything but i'm just sitting here like i kind of want you to explain everything though at the same time like i want to see all of it <laughs> no i do not want things it's explained. also fascinating damn I, right. I mean i don't really either which but well, like because i love that like i get to imagine it like it, it sends my brain running like there's so many different things that i'm like trying to imagine about like what a world with hellbenders would actually be like and um it's so fast like and one of the things i was thinking of is i was like you know if they're the apex predator and they reproduce asexually then this is a world where men are totally inconsequential yep. and they could potentially be, like lead on to a world without men and like what would that be like probably a lot better than the one we yep. live in how, how is it like making that film john no. <laughs> <laughs> well it's so funny okay but i mean the real answer to that question is after the deeper you dig we ke- we kept hearing people say in both uh you know what do you call it when the press writes uh, in reviews. in reviews and mm. and in podcasts and stuff like that they would say uh, oh I really liked the movie but I really wish that I could have had learned a little more about the mother and daughter I would have liked to have seen the mother daughter relationship developed more and it was kind of like what we had said in the beginning of this podcast which is we learn a lot from festivals mm. we learn a lot from reviews and it was like oh you know what let's make a movie that really delves into these two because they are mother and daughter. Yeah. They're so fun to be around. Like, and so we killed me real fast. Just so <laughs> I could just <laughs> like, let's just I was definitely surprised. Yeah. Then, whatever you, and then it was great because I got to just stand behind the camera and I got to be the crew. So mm-hmm. it was yeah. wonderful. Well, it's, it's a theme throughout the film that men are essentially just trespassers in this world. And that's, yeah, that's so unique because, I mean, speaking as a middle-aged white man, my voice is out there. You know, I've seen myself represented far too much mm-hmm. in this world. Uh, so it, it's really nice to see a film where I, I don't matter. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, am, I am food. <laughs> for, for <the> <laughs> yeah. um, but you know what they're not they're not disparaged though this is like that's the thing right, yeah. one, one yeah. of the things, it's not kind of like um it's definitely not like a man hate movie like look at these dumb no. walking around it's more <laughs> they're more what how would you describe like peripheral yeah, With, yeah. Uh, without judgment, kind of, you know. No, no well, you are you are the, you are the deer walking through the forest you're not doing anything wrong yeah, perfect there. Yeah, we're going to use that. Yeah, I might have right. noticed that. I might have noticed that deer play a prominent part in, in a lot of your films. <laughs> oh, yeah, deer come in, but you know, in, it, rather than it be, we're not. You know, there's no anti-male thing going on. Rather, mm-hmm. it's just that they are sort of. It's more that they're. It's just hyper 
focused on on a female identity mm-hmm. you yeah. know and the health vendors themselves are their own kind of strange female identity and then it was important for us and we we were committed to it and it made it really interesting because in a way when you take out the the male you know entity identity from the um equation you're you're talking about you just hyper focused on on the whole like woman as a creator and a regenerator. Mm. And those really tie in with the themes of nature, which was really huge for us. And it just, and to go into your whole thing, you were talking about Nathan, like the Yonic, you know, symbols there. It was just so easy to focus on all those things. And it was really fun. Yeah, I agree. And like, and as like a young woman, I, I always am really excited when there's like a new badass witch movie out. Uh-huh. Um, with like powerful women in it. And then I go to watch it and they're like totally sexualized. I'm like, oh God, come on now. Um, and it was just really fun like, taking away that entire aspect of it. And also like, how often do you get to see like female rockers, like just, just yeah. kicking ass? Yeah. Generational. Yeah. Uh, Boy, yeah. I do have to say this, your point about uh, men being trespassers, I'm going through it in my head. I think we're going to have to steal this and figure out why we wanted men <laughs> to symbolize trespassers. We don't know that yet, but you nailed it. <laughs> well, it's Rangers, not even not trespassing. Even- Everybody's trespassing. The the kid at the pool is trespassing. The only one who um, isn't is the pool owner, but yes. he doesn't stick but around then, very long. But then he, right, he's, 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 he's trespassing because he gets shredded out in the woods. He's trespassing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. he's, he's he left his does. sanctuary he's, into theirs. That's he's not a trespasser, but he is a bit of an interloper in terms of, you know, basically being like a city boy that barely ever comes out to his mountain house. So city. I'm yes. totally stealing that term because in small town, Maine city, it is such a thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the best term? So yeah, we're like, we're the, I love that. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. And I felt really bad because the wonderful people that allowed us to um, film at their pool, <laughs> I hope when they watch it, they never think, Wait a minute. <laughs> because nice because they're it. wonderful people. So, yes. yes. If you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, there's, again, so many things that Dan and I talked about uh, that I want to keep asking so much more. Um, with some of the with that world building and with not having everything explained. Um, I, I want to go back for like just a split second uh, when we were talking about the, the ship burning and how it's only on screen for like a second. Again, Dan and I talked about there where it's like, I want to know so much more about that specific scene, but I don't want to know anything at all because I know everything that I need to from the context, which again, huge kudos yeah. to giving us enough to tell the story but without having to explain everything and uh and without having to hold the audience's hand tying it back in to some of this immediate stuff of the all of the men being trespassers but again we talked about how like this is not a man-hating movie it's just a very strong female empowerment movie and one of the little details that um that might be easy for people to miss just because they might not necessarily be expecting it, but I adore. I love the fact that the opening scene with the town trying to uh, to hang the the grandmother, it's all women, and and there doesn't need to be any men there. And I'm glad that it's not a man that draws the gun who tries to shoot her. I'm glad that there's not any men there, because again, that sets the stage for we don't 
need men in the story. And again, not in a man-hating way, but just in a, we are focusing on a very, very specific story. Now, I do have a question of, uh, was that... I have a question about whether or not uh, that opening scene is like a, a coven in terms of like, was everyone there a group of hellbenders and the grandmother just like went way overboard and they were like, all right, we have to take care of this or, or was it just some other thing? It doesn't matter, like regardless of which one it is, <laughs> but with the context of everything else, I was at least curious about that. Great question, and we have a solid answer for you. Do you want to answer or do you want me to answer? Go ahead. That is referred to later when when the mother and daughter are sitting on the couch after their crazy wild bender where they vomit blood on each other. (laughs) Mother says, when she says, what was your mother like? And she's like, she was awful. She she ate an entire village of Mm. children that were all my friends. So the opening sequence of the movie, it sweeps across the ripped apart bodies of mm. babies and kids and then goes mm. up to the, the grandmother who's now feeling guilty that she's just half devoured and slaughtered a whole bunch of kids so she could get high. And she's sewing her mouth shut. So those people that are hanging her are actually the village mothers that have lost their kids. Gotcha. And so it's a reference. It's like... It's, it's more of an early explanation or a setting of this, of this scene of hellbenders are conflicted. And, can, and have got, and like you say, can get, grow out of control. You know, I mean, in that other scene where they have the deer, they say, you know, our ancestors grew drunk on that power. And, um, you know, at one point, they, I think the mother thinks they could use their their power for good. Um, but really there she, there she is isolated and not really doing much good for anyone um, because she probably doesn't trust herself uh, either in society after, after a while. But, um, but yeah, the, no. So it was, um, yeah, just uh, village people who were trying to take matters into their own hands. We loved the idea of a bunch of women hanging another woman, like you said, instead mm-hmm. of a bunch of typical you know, let's hang the witch, but it really, it's a bunch of women hanging the so-called witch. And we, yeah. and we also wanted to show that it couldn't be killed. You can't yeah. just kill a hellbender. Like, mm. You can't shoot the head, you can't stab it, you can't do anything to it. It has to die in a specific way. And we wanted to set that stage early so that people are like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> Why did all that shit just go down? Yeah, and it's great too, because like in my mind, like for me, the, the first time I watched it, not really understanding the context, it's like when you see a group of women there, it immediately tells you that this isn't your standard. Like, because so much of like witch lore is is very much about like criticizing a kind of patriarchal society in a lot of cases. And in this movie, like at the beginning, it's like okay, this isn't your typical. Yeah, it, it you know they're not witches, like you said. It's this is not the, that's not the story you're getting with this movie. Well, you're nailing it because that was important to us. And that's when I mean, we talk exactly about that. Let's open this movie up with a bunch of badass women slinging up to this hellbender. Completely remove the patriarchy and yeah. the mm. you know, whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and uh, we've already been talking about this a little bit, but I love the fact that there's not a protagonist and antagonist in this film. Like it's not, you know, like the good witch and the bad witch. And I know it's not witches, but 
for, for shorthand for anyone listening who has not seen it it is uh a lot easier uh first off to just remember saying that rather than constantly saying hellbender but also effectively witches uh but i don't want to sound like i am <laughs> disregarding you saying no no they're not witches the hellbenders <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're right they can be witches right. just, i wanted to make sure that i wasn't coming across as like no they're witches when you directly said they're not witches uh, it's a witch movie god damn it <laughs> <laughs> which movie uh yeah i love the fact that there's not a protagonist and antagonist it you are just following this journey especially with so many of the themes being that mother-daughter relationship with having so much of that family dynamics in real families you don't have a good person and a bad person unless like you know on the extremes sometimes but even in real families even when there is a clearly identified quote-unquote bad person they're not all bad there's something still redeemable about them and you know like i I used to do substance counseling and that was a very huge piece of it was no matter how far gone this person might seem as soon as you think that they are gone then yeah they might as well be because you are not going to be able to help them there has to be something redeemable about them period doesn't matter how terrible uh, of a thing that they've done uh, while they were under the influence and so I love the fact that in this movie, you're following a family dynamic and that dynamic shifts. You know, it goes back and forth between a, a controlling mother and a rebellious daughter and maybe an overly rebellious daughter and maybe, you know, like there, there's just so much uh, interplay going on there. How did you balance all of that as you were working through the movie? Like how much of that was intentional and how much of it was just sort of uh coincidental in trying to just focus on key elements well yeah thank you and going off of what you you said like everyone thinks that they're right the mother thinks that she's right to not let go of izzy and kind of suppress her nature but you know izzy thinks that she's right to pursue her you know, evil nature, according to her mom, but she doesn't think, think it's evil towards the end. She thinks it's, you know, her nature. Um, so like for me personally, as an actress, uh, I knew that like Izzy's character had to go from so like pure and unknowing of, you know, her heritage towards the end, like being full blown hellbender, full <laughs> team hellbender. So it's really interesting because like in the beginning of the movie, um, we all would have to remind myself, like, you don't know anything yet. Like, you're just innocent. You don't know what's ahead of you. Middle of the movie, like, oh, you're starting to pick it up now. And you're curious about what's out there. And towards the end, it's like full-blown hellbender. It it reminded me a lot, especially where it's like, because you're about to go off to college. It reminded me a lot of myself when I returned from that first semester of college after taking philosophy 101. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I knew everything. Yeah. <laughs> Prior to going to college, I, I I was very and I came from a small main town. I was sheltered. I went off to you know Boston to go to college, and all of a sudden, I know all about Marxism, mom. You're being, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's what that's that feeling that I got. Where whether you're right or wrong, you so strongly believed in what you had learned, and it was it was really coming through that it. It was mm. the natural, you know, teenage rebellion. Only, you know, you're a lot more powerful than the typical teenager. So <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it hit that very, very common theme of, you know, that teenager who's had that taste of knowledge 
and thinks now they they've got it all figured out yeah, yeah. And as a parent um you know like we were talking about this before the podcast my son it, well i have two sons one of them is three and one of them is only one so i've got a ways to go until i have to start dealing with some of that but we talked about this on a review where it's like i'm already thinking about how am i going to handle like wildly important topics like how am i going to talk to my kids about sex how am i going to talk to them about drinking how am i going to talk to them about like standing up for themselves without being the aggressors how am i going to like there's all of these incredibly important things and i'm their dad and i need to be their dad but i also want to be their friend and i want them to like me but i also have to be their dad (laughs) and i have to discipline them sometimes and even though like again years away from that being like an immediate thing for me it's something that's already on my mind so john toby what about for you like as you were creating hellbender how much of that again it might not necessarily have been conscious uh, in terms of like we know exactly uh, what parts of our lives we're putting into it but especially in the context of this conversation you know like how do you find that balance uh, through this movie, at least, of being that person to guide them without controlling them, but without also like just letting the reins completely go and, and not having any structure? We both have an answer. My quick answer is, um, and this is what was fun about Hellbender is the like, so I had drug problems. I, I had, I was a drug maniac for a while and I quit something like 16 years ago when she was one. So I am in no, there is no seat of judgment that I can sit in anymore. Like I can say like, my advice is don't start, you know, doing these particular drugs because it doesn't really get you anywhere good. It always, you know, it's, but I can't say there's just no way I can sit in any seat of judgment. And what we wanted to do with the mother was, if you notice, like we showed the mother sneaking some worms and sneaking some <laughs> little things, because mm-hmm. while she's saying, while she's keeping the drugs or knowledge or whatever you want to say, like it's, she's also taking little bits of it and hiding and, and yeah. it's, and it's like, that's what's hard about parenting is we're all human. So we're all making mistakes. We all like maybe, maybe drink, maybe do drugs, maybe do this. But that doesn't mean we say to our kids like, oh, you should drink single malt scotch and do a line of cocaine. It's really fun. <laughs> and a pack of Marlboro Reds with a nice head buzz on that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, you, you want to say, you got to be careful about that stuff. Like, you don't want to do it. But um, it's a tricky biz because everybody's done it. And then... We also had, a, we always thought it was quite funny because Zelda was a soccer player. So we traveled all around for years and years and years playing soccer. And a lot of time on the sidelines, <laughs> the parents would be talking about like, well, you know, that, that person's daughter is now smoking jewels. And I hear that she's drinking. Meanwhile, in their water bottle is vodka. <laughs> and yep. it was always so funny because some parents would get loaded at a game. And it was just like, it's like, I understand it. It's, is it good? No. Do I understand it? Yes. Can I sit in any seat of judgment? No. And Mm. that's why it's really fun. What you said earlier about a protagonist and an antagonist that there isn't one because no one's right or wrong. We're all in the soup, Mm. you know? And Toby can speak more about like, cause she, she, 
wrote some of the scenes to show that exact issue about drugs and and being honest with your kids. Yeah, like we are very transparent with our past drug use and any kind of issues and how we feel. But so we're we're at, at the place where we talk about everything and anything. I mean, Zelda can when we just talk about it. We are anti-hiding. But um, but I understand, but we also understand why parents do hide things they, and they want to protect their kids. And often they, they want mm-hmm. to protect them be, because they think they're, they're glad they didn't OD or they're, they're, you know, they want to protect them from the dangers that they few managed to, to get by. Um, but we wanted to sort of show some typical, some universal hip- hypocrisies, but squeeze it through that strange, you know, supernatural lens. We just thought, hey, let's let's show what families do, but let's just make them hellbenders. That would be kind of interesting. <laughs> and um, another thing, too, I think it's important. For me, I think this is as much a coming-of-age tale about a teenager Mm-hmm. a kid as it is for a mother because parents are evolving and learning and making mistakes too. And sometimes children are actually the parents of their parent. You know, sometimes things, things uh, flip. And I think in many ways at the end, um, I feel a little bit sad for, for the mother because she, she doesn't even have a name. She's just mother. You know, I mean, I feel a little sad for her that she has lost a bit of of who she is. And it's almost like the daughter is there to remind her, like when she shows that brief moment of her hellbenderness, she thinks it's ugly. She doesn't want to show her. And the daughter says, there you are. You're beautiful. You know, so mm. there's something it just was so much fun playing with all that stuff. And and just the, the um, imperfections of parenthood and parents are are. are you know, are human and hellbenders and children. We all have, whether you're a human or a hellbender, we all have really tough, you know, tough things to learn about <laughs> life. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of that last scene and um, with what Zelda saying, oh, there you are, you're beautiful. When I watched the movie, I took that as almost like sarcasm, almost like a, I'm in power now. Mm-hmm. And almost like, oh, there you are. And, and like more uh, almost like happy that the darkness is coming out as like an excuse to allow her to do whatever she wanted to. But as you were talking about it just there, it's like, oh, wait, shit. No. What if that wasn't it at all? Like, And, and now I am so conflicted about the ending of this movie, not in terms of whether or not I like it, because I still absolutely love it. I don't know if the ending of this movie is a quasi happy note of now that they are starting to reveal more of their true selves are they going to grow and have a closer relationship or is it what i initially thought of that tragic ending of yeah the mother is kind of screwed until izzy decides that uh, she doesn't feel like dealing with it anymore and now wants to have a little help ender of her own is this supposed to be a happy ending or not and also <laughs> totally totally cool if you say you know what we don't want to answer that we're leaving it up to the audience but yeah i i am i am torn now on which one it is and which one i want it to be because i think uh, both of them work equally as well i'm I'm just oh sorry i'm just a fan of of finally seeing the parents imperfections and and coming to terms with you know what your your parents are people they're fucked up too Yep. <laughs> um, for, 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 for 10 years, um, I, I ran a homeless youth shelter and that was 
almost whenever I would meet a new kid, that was the moment they were almost always at when they had just realized their parents were not the people they had hoped they were all along. And most of them, it was because there wasn't that, that parental transparency. There yeah. was the, the mom and dad were, were, were sneaking maggots off, you know, maggots <laughs> uh, off, off in another room or with their friends. Um, so they, they didn't have those honest moments with their parents. So that kind of led them off into the world on their own. Um, so as soon as you said that, it's just like, God, now I want to go back to work there for like a day and show them this movie so that they can, I can see their reactions to this because one of a lot of the stuff I did with them was why I would use horror movies because it was something they all liked. And it was something that you can, you can bring these topics into discussion without having to blatantly go, okay, now we're going to talk about mommy's drug problem and how that affected you we could show them, you know, a movie or a short story or something and have them start to make the connections themselves. God damn. Now I want to go back and work there again right now. Sorry. <laughs> I work in a school, a school now and they would not let me show this film. It's really interesting because while, while we were making the movie, we actually didn't know what ending we wanted. We were like, do we want, is he to eat her mother and go off and do her own thing? Or do we want the mother and Izzy to go off and be raging hellbenders together? Or we, I feel like we kind of found a little middle ground, but yeah. we were shooting the last scene and we were kind of getting ready to do it three different ways. And we were like, you know what? We have a lot of fun making this movie and we want to have a fun, happy-ish ending. Yeah, I think that the ending is... Uh, honest. Um, mm-hmm. I think Izzy does love her mother. Mm-hmm. I think that darkness is coming, but it's not there yet. And mm-hmm. that's real life. And I love the ending because it was, I think it was a fun movie. I did love both of those characters, no matter how flawed they are. And in the end, they, they show they love each other, even though the mother is scared shitless. Mm-hmm. She does yeah. say, could you buy me bass bass strings? <laughs> and so yeah. it's kind of like she's, you know, she went from, I don't want to be eaten yet to, okay, cool. Well, I do need some new bass strings. So it's yeah. like, but when you look at where it's going, it's not going to a good place for mom. <laughs> and, yeah. And like, if you think about it, Izzy's not ready to go off and eat her mom and reproduce another hellbender. She's just discovered her hellbender. Right. She's yeah. Ready to go, Maybe sequel idea, go off and have a little lady band and, you know, go on tour and a rampage, you know. But it's also like you coming home from college, philosophy, you say to your mom, like, I know, I know life now. I got it figured out. I took philosophy 101 and Nietzsche. You know, yeah. I got Nietzsche. But, and, but, but can you, can you show me how to use the Washington yeah. <laughs> So um, basically the sequel. Into a, a, qu- a question I had uh, where you talked about how you weren't ready to go off and have your own little hellbender. Was, was Zelda the first hellbender that you had? I had like the strangest feeling after you said, if you break my heart, I'll devour you. I was like, oh, dear God, how many has she had? Is this like the fifth try? You know, as he devoured the other ones because they were too bad too early. <laughs> I love that you picked that up. I love that you picked that up. Because that was important that we needed the audience to wonder 
oh, has the mother done this before and then eaten the hellbender? Or, and, and so it's great that you picked that up. Well, it just seemed 147. Is that how old you were? It seemed an awful long time to not try that at least once. You know? <laughs> There's something and, so like horrifying to think about like if there's something so i I, kind of want to know but i don't want to know i just as soon as i heard that i want to know i was onto something it it may be (laughs) like one of the most horrifying implications in the movie where it's like oh this kid isn't turning out well i guess i'll just start over from the from scratch (laughs) like that's so yeah but how many times has a mother said that to a kid after you've done something really stupid i brought you into this world i'll take you out exactly (laughs) my mom used to say that all the time and it wasn't until i was older where i was like you can't fucking take me out of the world what are you talking about oh man yeah when we were talking about that it's also a little it's also a little play on uh where the wild things are you know where i uh, love yeah, so yeah. much you it you up. yeah so we, we were laughing about that and we were like oh that's this is perfect because we can twist it a little bit where it actually makes it's actually super freaking dark and a good threat and it does suddenly throw in all these ideas about wait a minute just like you said i'm so glad that you pick up these tiny little things it's <laughs> it's so great too because like it it, it it doesn't come across like it's it's somewhat sinister but it still comes across as loving in a way which yeah. is so bad like i mean it's like i have a little pomeranian dog and my wife and i do this thing where we're like oh my god you're so fucking cute i want to squeeze you until the- you can't breathe. like it's so but there <laughs> is like obviously you know we don't really want to do that but it's uh well, know, it's just like sometimes it's the only way you know how to express how much you love someone is to like <laughs> joke about how you would destroy it once again uh the music plays such a huge role in that because part of what makes that scene so tender is again the song playing in the background and i can't remember the exact song but uh again we mentioned this uh in our review it felt very very reminiscent of cat power and i i just i uh. love that song um during that scene because again there's so much just of like that heavier rock uh driving the pulse of the movie and then you get to that scene and probably one of the most intimate scenes between mother and daughter you don't see them together until that last bit where she's like yeah i love you so much i'm gonna eat you up uh also you probably saw my excitement when you said we took that from the uh, where the wild things are because that was my <laughs> assumption and how how much it reminded me of that book and how i love that because it kind of brought in some of this more like magical realism uh, or fantastical realm of like it's not that I think that all of this didn't take place in the real world, but almost like where they live is this sort of secluded place that outsiders don't belong. And, and so like the reason that they don't get many people showing up is because somehow it's hidden. Somehow, somehow it's protected a little bit until they start straying out of that protection. And uh, also uh, Dan and I mentioned that we think that the wild rumpus and where the wild things are is totally a pagan festival uh, and how that also absolutely works with Hellbender. <laughs> oh my God. I love the wild rumpus. I used to do sound effects when I read it to Zelda, you know, because there are no words on those pages. So I would go rumpus, 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 rah, rah, my my son, he's he's much older than their son. So that was his favorite book as a kid, and he always wanted to read it at bedtime. But it it is a very short book. Mm-hmm. So I found out that very early that if I just read the words, he'd want me to read it like six times. 
So I, I like like you, yeah. I added, added sound effects. I added more to it because it, it otherwise, yeah, otherwise he was never going to go to bed because he wanted to keep hearing it. So, well, and we also uh, we didn't get into this in our review, but it, it makes so so much sense to draw inspiration from where the wild things are because I mean, like the entire thing of that book is Max is being a little shit, you know, like he's running around terrorizing <laughs> the dog, destroying the house, and mom's like, "That's it, you're going to bed without dinner." And so, like, then he has to go off on his own. He has to go off into his own world and and be where mm. he wants to be and discover this isn't where I want to be. And he comes back to a nice warm dinner in his room waiting for him. And again, like it, it's playing on some of those themes of even when your kid is being a little bit of a hellion, they're still your kid and you still love them. And, and there's still some of that flawed dynamics. And and yeah, like what kind of parent would send their kid, uh, kid to bed without dinner? And, and so, yeah, a, a simple children's story, again, ties in perfectly with Hellbender. And, uh, and I love it. <laughs> Uh, that is so cool. yeah. <laughs> there was another question that I had lined up that I don't remember right now. So I'm going to go with this one instead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the use of color in Hellbender because it doesn't feel like you're emphasizing we are really playing with color. It's just like, yeah, you're in, you know, like a mountain house. And so it's very white and very light blue and you're in the mountains. And so it's very like deep forest green and you're in the water. And so it's very, you know, clear bluish. Like you're just using the natural colors around you. But when Dan and I were talking about this and uh, largely uh, thanks to Dan's DVD, or sorry, Blu-ray collection where he has the deeper you dig next to deep red, to me, in retrospect, Hellbender feels almost like a naturalistic giallo film in terms of the use of color is so strong and it is so prevalent. But again, because it's so naturalistic, you don't notice it. But um, one of my favorite scenes is when you're going on that rainy walk and it's just like that field of solid green behind you. And then these two little specks walking across the screen. Uh, and Dan, you mentioned uh, in a review, the scene where it's like that pure white plate and those uh, little tiny worm mm. of wriggling around on top of it. And it, it, again, don't know if this was intentional, but in retrospect, it felt so <laughs> jalloistic, but completely opposite. What were some of your inspirations for some of that, uh, for some of that cinematography and use of color and just the way that you framed everything? Color was incredibly important to us in Hellbender. Uh, with the deeper you dig, we, we did high contrast, very blue and cold. And we try to take out like anything warm because it was a real cold tale and it kind of a cold, brutal tale. But when we made Hellbender, we one of the like we said, Hellbender needs to be fun. So there was a couple reasons that color, we knew color were going to be incredibly important. One is nature is the third, the third character in the movie. Like nature is so important. It's important to their magic. It's important to where they live. It's, it's, it's such a character. And, but ultimately the real color comes in with all their magic worlds. So when they look at the book, then it's massively saturated color comes popping out of the book. Mm -hmm. 
And that was important because we wanted to show that that world had extra power, that it was something like, you know, it's like the book of knowledge. It's the book of life. It's like it has to be extra life. It had to be bigger than the world they were in. So we wanted like that super saturated look to show that what Izzy was looking for or what what was being offered to Izzy that the mother was hiding was something bigger than the world that she knew. That, and that's just the natural natural world which has these beautiful green colors and blue water and all these things but when you go into the book and the visions and their magic world it's blasting color it's it's like just kaboom it's like an explosion of color and we we thought that was important just to show how wonderful a world that was and and thus the pull for izzy to like want to be a part of it Mm. yeah um with with that color uh, when I was initially watching it, it felt very uh, like psychedelic, which, you know, does play into some of the drug use and quote unquote drug use, you know, like sneaking uh, the little quote unquote pills of, of maggots. But as you were talking about it just now in terms of like how important color was and when they touched the book, how it was almost like an explosion of color. To me, it almost feels more uh, reminiscent of synesthesia where like people hear colors and they feel colors. And so it's almost like when they were touching the book, it's not that it was distorting their reality. It's that there was such such an explosion of their reality. And so like they were experiencing everything at once. And I love that mm. so much more than it being psychedelic. I love that it's more of like you. This is more reality than what you can handle rather than it being a distortion of reality. Great. And then then the other thing is, is if you think about in Hellbender, the first time she touches the book, she can't handle it. But the next time she touches the book, she stays for it. And And she feels the images. And when she pulls her hand back, she has this completely like, that was wonderful look on her face. You know, but the, the first time she touches it, it was just like, oh, my God, no, that uh, whatever just happened. I don't like it. That's ha- terrifying. But by the next time she touches it later in the movie, she's like, oh, this feels good. <laughs> and the mother and the mother, when she the mother decides she is going to kind of start to show her stuff and she, and she splits the fuzzy wuzzy, you know, caterpillar thing with her. <laughs> The mother is basically trying to say, look, if you're going to do drugs, do it smartly. Right. So let's start slow and small, you know, and work your way up. She doesn't know that Izzy's already totally, you know, your harm reduction techniques were on point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Dan, you had a question when we were doing our review about uh, the scene, uh, speaking of blood, where the two of you are vomiting blood on each other and, and Toby like has a bad trip. Um, do, do you remember, Dan, some of what we talked about well, during that it, piece? Yeah, we, we had a couple theories on that particular scene because just one, it's this nice little moment of mother daughter, you know, frolicking around in the snow. And it just and comes out of nowhere. It's, it's the pure like... definition of oversharing in that <laughs> minute. You literally vomit on each other. And your reaction where you were like immediately ill. And we're like, okay, 
is it because she's sensing how powerful her daughter is or how how dark her daughter might be it's kind of like you know kind of harken back to like like the Stephen like Stephen King's dead zone where that main character would touch someone and if they were thinking bad thoughts was was kind of revolted by that so we're we're curious as to what you were really going for in that scene because again it's unusual to have vomit sharing in, in, a, in any movie, honestly, but it was just such a unique moment that it, I couldn't stop thinking about it for like 20 minutes after the movie ended. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, the mother, I think tries to off say, Hey, let's smoke a peace pipe literally mm-hmm. and figuratively after, uh, you know, Izzy's kind of pissed off at her that the, eat this little baby food of a worm. Um, <laughs> And so I think in trying to be kind of the, and that this was another sort of comparison to parents who are like, I want to be the cool parent. So the, the mom's like, Hey, you can share some of my special stash. I'll give you some maggots and, and we'll, we'll get high together and we'll have this like fun, you know, bonding trip. I think the mother has, has, is a little out of practice. I think so. <laughs> meanwhile, so it was our way of showing that. Meanwhile, the daughter can completely hold her hold her liquor, yeah. and the mother's <laughs> like, "I'm going to be hungover," and that's why the mother shares too much and tells her about, um, you know, the grandmother eating half a village and her friends. Um, but another thing about the vomiting out of the blood too, which goes back to sort of how we wanted to create our own mythology because. Um, these are self-reproducing creatures. Um, the mouth, and they're, we're always talking about the mouth. They're always talking about things consuming, nature consuming, and and their mouth, and and in the you know opening our mouth wide, um, and the Ouroboros, the open mouth eating its tail, the whole cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, so because these these women are sort of born and killed from the mouth. Yeah. Um, we wanted, we thought, well, in a way, like puking out of their mouth is how they would menstruate. You know, it was really fun to kind of think of this kind of stuff. Like, it was, like it, I just loved the idea that these aren't really born, you know, there's no male involved. So in a sense, they're born and um, they're created and killed from their mouth. They're consumed when they're they're eaten and they die that way. But when they are eaten and die, then another hell bender is born from, you know, being eaten. So I thought, well, yeah, maybe they're puking maggots, but maybe that's also where they menstruate. I don't know. Whoa, that's just got so cool. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, there, but you also had, you, you had written, you had written something else for that scene. Like we were going to do something else for that scene. And then we decided, wait, this is going to work a lot better. Do you remember what those other we had? We kept we had a whole bunch of stuff written for that whole party scene. And the, the one thing that we kept was uh, the magic heart where the kid keeps blowing up all of her imagery. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, and that was fun. And but we we solidified the vomiting thing, partly because it was like. I remember. Do you remember what the other things were? Because it'd be it's fun so to- funny that I, I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll think of it when we're done, because 
it we, was so cool. Yeah, we sorry, like, we're, getting, we're we getting on a tangent because we, because we're, because like, there was something really cool that we were trying to think through. We had a whole bunch of things, but we really couldn't film them. Like, it was very hard to film them, what we had written. And so we decided, oh, this, if, if we have them, if we have Zelda just be like, you know what, these little tiny maggots don't want to fly she's like i want to fly and the mother's like you can't fly maggots and she's like well then i don't need these these stinking maggots and so she just pukes them all over the mother who's now having a great time like the mother's getting wasted out there yeah we were gonna eat or eat frogs or rabbits there was a whole um, bunch of stuff that was gonna happen this was a better we were gonna way to fly you know yeah we were and mm-hmm. It was, it, yeah. That goes back to the beginning conversation that we had about bigger budget. We can afford Christian's well, I mean, Europe, but we can't afford to fly. So we're going to puke that. That feels like such a great, I mean, that's one of the things that I love so much about like lower budget films is that oftentimes, like if you have to scale it back, like whatever your compromise idea is, is actually probably in a lot of cases, like a more effective, like kind of, I like it whenever movies can kind of boil something down to, to an elemental level and can, and you like convey so much through just that visual metaphor of vomiting on each other. (laughs) Um, And and I love that. Like, I think that's, that's great. We love that too. We love our challenges. Like our budgetary challenges do make us sit down at the dining room table and say, okay, we're, we're, what we're, trying to say is this we can't afford to say it the way we thought we wanted to so how can we say it yeah and it's kind of boiling down how, to its essence essentially exactly and it's a lot of fun that that's actually that's one of the best advantages of not having any money <laughs> <laughs> yep sometimes money can be a burden um no money no problems <laughs> so true um yeah, again, we've talked a lot about how many just like little things about this movie add so much depth. And and again, Dan and I talked a while about all of our over analysis. And I love hearing that a lot of the things that were like, could it have meant this? And you're like, yep, absolutely. Uh, one of the other little things that I wanted to mention, just because I love this scene, it's again, it's such a minor scene, doesn't have anything to do with the main plot of the movie except for the fact that it also gives you so much character development. And uh, Toby, I think that you did an amazing job acting. And Zelda, your physical response to it was just just perfect. I love when you're having the conversation uh, where Zelda, you're asking, dangerous to who? And Toby's response of whom? Zelda's look of just, oh, fuck you. It is perfect, and I love it. So uh, how I, I much of actually, that was based on real life? <laughs> I, I literally do that to my children. <laughs> so whatever that, but I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> that's cool. That was, that's my favorite scene ever. Like I just love that scene so much. And yes, that's Toby. But she doesn't do it to me. Thank God. I can't talk, I can't talk at all. But she's trying to get the kids to talk good. She does it in a nice way, though. <laughs> Thank you. I know I'm always like, God, I don't want to have, I don't want to correct you, but can I? <laughs> I like to think that that wasn't actually in the script and that was just something that happened naturally. <laughs> That's one of those things. I mean, again, this whole movie, like what resonates so much with me is how much like it's about like how difficult it is to be a parent where it's like you're constantly trying to negotiate 
everything, whether you're negotiating it in your own head, like, okay, I need to take a minute and figure out like, how do I approach this situation with my child where I can like explain something to them without feeling like I'm attacking them or, you know, like try to get on their level. And um, yeah. And, and uh, like, again, it feels like every element of this movie is getting to that in some way. And a lot of times as a parent, it's like, you get so frustrated and you're just like, whatever, like you're wrong. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <with it. laughs> uh, all right. So I I only have one more question, uh, Dan, Eric, I don't know how many more each of you have, but the last question that I have is related to the music in, in the film and not necessarily the music in terms of the soundtrack. We've already talked about that, but more about the role of music in Izzy's character. You know, I, I love the scenes where, uh, Toby, it's you and Zelda just, you know, playing in just like that solid black room. You know, those are really fun scenes. It gives a lot of character building. But I love the pool scene where Izzy is just awkward and, you know, like very clearly the homeschool kid of just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then you get on the drums and... And you feel so at ease and just like your entire body language changes and like you become a different person when you are playing music. And I love that because music and art and creation does have such a just a it's it has such power to it and it definitely evokes so much and it's such an outlet. How much of that piece is related to the reason why you as a family create films and just in terms of you know that artistic expression and and finding yourselves and being able to share that with the world in much in the same way that izzy you know realized that their band was a kick-ass band and wanted to share it with the world again i feel like there's a lot of uh, relationship between your actual family and the movie which is why i don't want your movies to start getting too overproduced love the family uh, feel of it but, but yeah how how much of just that passion for creation um it comes from real life and you know like what what started all of that um for you and your family well yeah we've been making music ever since i was really young because you know john was in the in a rock scene in his you know 20s 30s 40s and so i always grew up listening to his music and listening to John and Toby's music that they loved. Um, so it was always a way that we could bond together over listening to music and creating it um, since I was just really young. And uh, I feel like creating music, like our music has just gotten so much better and we've gotten so much more in tune with like what we're good at. And I think it's so like paralleled to like how we've grown as friends and family as well. Like as our music and films have grown, so too have our relationships together. And uh, I think it's like really where we feel home and so comfortable making this music. And, uh, and like kind of like when you can listen to like the, what's it called? The discography <coughs> of our music as a family, family, like with Hellbender, our band Hellbender, um, you can see like the evolution of it. And it's really interesting because I think Izzy's character, that music is a like a vessel for her evolution as a character. Um, in the beginning, uh, she's just super content, you know, uh, kind of like with the band that they have. But then towards the middle, she's like, I want to play out. And towards the end, she's like, you know what? I'm, I'm ready. I am ready to play out. 
And like, even in the middle, there's that kind of like transitional scene where she plays in front of, um, you know, at the pool. And I think that's when she discovers like, wow, I, I, I need to broaden my horizon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was fun using the band scenes as a transformational uh, route for Izzy. Mm -hmm. It was, it was also neat too, in that scene that you used such a traditional teenage coming of coming of age, right? The drinking of shots of tequila and flipped it all on its head. That was awesome. <laughs> everyone, everyone who is drinking their can, can relate to that scene so well. It's like that, that initial fear and then like, oh, I'm going to go for it. And then, and, oh, I did not make the right choice. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's first tequila Tuesday ended with vomit. Yes. <laughs> tequila is never a good decision. And well, it's a great one to start your kids out with because it's never yeah, that, yeah, exactly <laughs> the lesson is learned very fast. Try <laughs> some tequila. <laughs> Have another one. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Eric, Dan, any additional questions that you were just dying to ask? Because I think that I've. Uh, at, Again, without just rehashing every single thing from the review, I think that I've got all of my main points uh, covered. The only one I had is a little bit more of like from a technical standpoint. Now that there are three directors in the family, how, how did you break that up on set? Like, did you each have favorite scenes that you wanted to take a shot at? Or was it just who wasn't in the scene had got to do it that day? Or well, I'm curious as that dynamic. Yeah, we each definitely have scenes that like we're more attached to or someone's like really developed the idea for a certain scene. But we all go into it with like a mutual understanding of, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what we want said. Um, And sometimes like if we're not like fully on the same board, we'll shoot it three different ways, bring it home that night. And the editing process says, hey, this is the right way. Uh, so it's really nice getting to shoot it three different ways because uh, more options. <laughs> and yeah, whoever's not in front of the camera is the one, you know, pretty much controlling it and directing. Uh, yeah. Now I'm really interested to see an anthology film from the three of you where each of you take on specific segments so that I can start really honing in on the differences in each of your directing styles so that I can go back and watch your earlier films and start trying to figure out like, okay, who was in charge of this scene? Well, according, according to the deeper you dig special features, Zelda's got much more camera movement in her and her shots. Oh, yeah, I watch, all special, I watch all the special features on things. So. Well, that is what Zelda, Zelda's brought that to our movies. And, and, and with this next one we're working on even more so it's like, you know, she's really been like, we need to move. We need to have these scenes flow. We need to have, we need to do this with the camera. We need to move the camera. And she's really brought that to our game. And it's been really fun to listen to Zelda. It's great being on set with Zelda and her artistic like vision. Toby's really, what's what Toby just brings so well to the game is Toby understands drama and she understands the nuance of drama and the importance of completing circles. And, you know, the, a lot of what we find at the festivals that people love the depth of is because Toby, like, I like to cut somebody's head off. I'm like, I, we really need to cut somebody's head off. And Toby's like, okay, we, we, we can do that. But you're going to have to give me a little bit of time to figure out, well, 
why? Why are we cutting this person's head off? And like, <laughs> we can't just cut people's heads off. And, and so it's fun because <laughs> together as a unit, as a trio walking along, these things have come together in a really fun way. So the technical answer to how we direct is we're all just sitting there together taping taping ideas together until it's this crazy Frankenstein-y monster that's walking <laughs> down the hallway. Love it. Well, that's what makes your film so unique. That's great. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's really inspiring talking to you guys today because you're telling us something that's really beautiful and really helpful, and that is that you're enjoying what we're creating, and, and that and and you're even saying keep keep your method, don't change too much, and mm. that's huge for us. And we're gonna. I know I'm gonna walk away from this conversation. It means a lot to me what you said today. Me too, because you really do see the stitch work. I mean, it's like you. It's like you have magnifying glasses, and you don't just see the fabric. You're looking out at the stitch work. You can tell what kind of stitch work it is. What's a knit? What's a purl or whatever they're called. And 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 that for storytellers, that that means so much that you are taking away things that you can talk as long as you talked in the review or tonight or tonight with us. Um, it's just like oh my god, it, it, you you've really. Um, yeah, you're, you've just really dived deep and we're so appreciative. It's really yeah. refreshing. Like, oh, my God, I'm so grateful that we put in that little detail because amazing people mm. like you are going to latch on to it and think oh, that yeah. it's cool. We'll it's obsess so about it for half an hour easily. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you watch... We obsess over the little details, especially. <laughs> yeah. When you watch a movie, it's great. But <clears throat> the deeper you dig, the better it gets. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's, there's the dad. Yeah, that's there's, there's the, the eye roll. Yeah. Well, and the dad jokes much. Tonight. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I've been trying to you know somewhat stay on track. Uh, we talk about that uh, again during the review, where it's like Hellbender on its surface can be enjoyed as hey, here's a fun witch movie with some cool effects, and and just on its surface, it is still enjoyable. But oh my god, when you really dig into it and dive into it and like start nitpicking every tiny little thing, there is so much more to discuss. And the more that we discuss, the more that I want to discuss it. And yeah, between the review and tonight's episode, you know, we're coming up on like three and a half, four hours of of coverage of this movie. (laughs) And I feel like there's still so much more to talk about. I just need like a breather (laughs) between each one to gather my thoughts and let it all sink in. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not just obsessive film nerds, too. Uh, my fiance made sure, because she, she's a nurse, so she's worked like a ridiculously long day already and went to bed early. And she was like, I want to drink some coffee and just sit in the corner of the room where no one will notice and just listen. Because <laughs> we watched we watched the movie last night, and she, was, she loves horror movies, but she was just enthralled by it. And she's like, this is so cool. Uh. So she, she'll, she's like, when is this going to get posted so I can listen to it? And um, sorry, sorry, guys, she has never wanted to listen to any of our podcasts prior to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Understandable. She, she gets enough of me talking about movies at home that she really is like, yeah, I don't want to do that on my free time, too. Yeah. Gonna, so, uh, but yeah, she she was like just completely fascinated by this film. And like she would have easily just sat in the corner and listened to this the entire time. 
if she's been able to stay awake. (laughs) That means a lot to me because I think nurses are the most beautiful people in the world because they're the ones that save our lives. It's not the doctors. It's not the scientists. It's actually the nurses that are the ones that save your life. And I can speak to that because I had cancer in 1994 and my nurse is the one that saved my life. Oh. And I will always, anytime I hear someone's a nurse, I, I want to help them and I want to uh-huh. say thank you. Well, well she's a damn good one. So if you ever have heart problems while in Maine, she will fix you. <laughs> I, will, I will remember that. She, she's a cardiac unit nurse. She's incredible at what she does. So <laughs> make a special point to go to Maine. She puts up with my obsessive nerdiness too. So that that's always a bonus. <laughs> So make a special point to go to Maine and then, uh, you know, have a little too much coffee. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. it, it's Maine. We have terrible, terribly bad for you food up here. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. can't, can't be worse than the South. Just it. it no, that's true. We be. don't use as much butter as you guys do. Mm, yeah, we, well, we guess, like to you know, I've had the lobster in Maine. You use plenty of butter. That is they, yes. they don't deep fry their lobster, though. All the food that we love. I <laughs> Once you leave the classic coast and go up, up a little further up the coast, then it gets, starts getting deep fried. That's the people who've lived on their coast in like a tiny ramshackle place for their entire life. They deep fried. <laughs> I would love that. It sounds great. I know, right? Oh. Ah, Eric, do you have any burning questions? Because uh, you did not have a a chance to dive into things as much as Dan and I did because uh, you weren't on our review, very sadly. That's true. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to watch it before you got before you had planned to review it. And I was I what was funny, though, is I ended up watching the movie while you were, were reviewing it. Uh, which is uh-huh. kind of an interesting experience. Oh, uh, um, Eric, I do remember one question that I'm not going to ask because I want you to ask it because okay. it relates to what you said. <laughs> okay. When um, when I told you and Dan that there was the VM watermark so that uh, if our screener leaked, they would know that one of us f***ed up and huh. you were just like, who on earth would steal an indie filmmaker's movie? Uh, like you, you were. I was you, outraged. You, exactly, like you were that. angry about it. So I want you to ask about that. I don't know what I want you to ask about it, but I want you to ask something about it. Um, how do I post? It? I don't know. I don't even know how to post it as a question. Just like, well, I don't. I want to be mean to anybody that you all have had any interactions with, but also, um, how dare those people? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how dare they? I can't. You I know, mean, I'll, yeah. Good. I'll tell you, you know, with the deeper you dig, we had such piracy issues that this time around, we were like, we have got to be careful, you know, because the the deeper you dig, just thousands and thousands and thousands of views out of India and and all Mm -hmm. over the world, you know, that, um, and the only way that could have happened was just from uh, my, you know, I, we sent, this was before we had like representation, you know, mm. someone represented the film and I would be like, sure, I'll send you a screener. You want to, you know, uh, we were very uh, naive and, 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 and generous with people wanting to share the film. And we just, mm. stuck, you know? we got took hard. And it was interesting because in one sense it was a compliment because you like, you literally could go to YouTube on Monday and, you know, type in the deep you dig, nothing would show up on Tuesday. You type in the deep you dig and there would be like 10,000 views of uh, the whole movie. And you were like, holy shit. 
Like, okay, that's kind of a nice compliment that 10,000 people watched our movie, but wow, it's also a hard slap in the face because, you know, it was like, because, yeah, it was stolen. But yeah. it, it was amazing, like, how um, it was, I, I was really impressed at how, how fast the views of pirated movies just exploded. And they would, and then, you know, we have to write YouTube and get them taken down. And that always takes a little while. And, and they, so on Thursday, it'd be taken down next Monday. There'd be another one up. It was really pretty crazy. Mm. Yeah. Like, in my, like I have a, I, I kind of feel the same way as you. Like there's a part of me that's like, well, I mean, they're watching the movie and that's kind of nice. And, but there's, but there's yeah. also a part of me, it's like, it, there's a difference between like pirating something like hellbender versus like the newest, whatever the, hell superhero movie is out there or whatever it's like those movies are they're gonna make their money back whatever but it's like and i know i'm sure you know you all aren't doing this for the money you know this is clearly a labor of love but at the same time it's like you put so much of yourselves into this you know making a movie is not easy uh you know there's there's a lot of work that goes into that and there's a part of you that's just like i can't believe someone would do that especially something like this like i said that is just so it's so heartfelt and you put so much of yourselves into it that like, I feel like you deserve something in return for that. Well, um, it's also like when you add it up, if somebody watches it on Amazon or somebody watches it on shutter or somebody, they're basically only paying 10 cents. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, it yeah, only it's not like this, but- 10 cents to watch the movie. It's, Absolutely. Like, you know, it's so cheap these days to watch a movie like legally. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Right. right, and that's kind of where I, what I what I'm thinking at too. It's like these people put all this effort into making something for you to partake in and enjoy. It's like kick them a little change their way, you know. And also, it's like if you're not paying for this movie, then these people are not getting the capital that they need to make more movies. It's like if you like the movie, make sure that more movies, more movies like this can be made. Yep. Yeah, it's an interesting place in art right now. That that's true with music. <laughs> And that's true with film. Uh, the other side of the coin, though, is that um, these days, little people like us do get our movie seen, whereas 15 mm-hmm. years ago, no one was going to see these movies. But now, because of the Internet and because of you know, how, how easily accessible at the touch of a keyboard, you can type up our music or you can type up our movies, that is also a beautiful thing. You know, it, <laughs> it's very true. That is cool, too. So, yeah, just do it I, I did instantly bookmark your album on Spotify, like, immediately after viewing the movie, so. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Which kind of leads into one of my, I'm, I am very much a physical media person. I love Blu-rays. I love DVDs. When are we going to get all of yours available? I, I, I like I like watching them on Prime, but I want to have them on my shelf so I can hand them out to people to borrow. <laughs> well, the Arrow thing was really cool for the that DVDs. was just that was, whoa! They did such an amazing job with that. And mm-hmm. Shutter's gonna Shutter's gonna put this one on a DVD and Blu-ray and that kind of stuff too. That just will take time because they'll want to have it come out on Shutter like online mm-hmm. first, and then they'll once they run that course, they're gonna come out with like hard copy. So mm-hmm. all those things are gonna happen, which is fun. You know, it's it's really exciting. Shutter's a great company to be working with. They're so nice to us. They treat us like who we are, which is three people, and <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> So we're really thankful that we got hooked up. And the other thing about Shudder is their community, their fans, their um, viewers are like 
horror aficionados. Like they love horror. Yeah. So it's, it's okay. a great place for us. Like yeah, I'm so pretty sure all three of us are, are, are Shutter subscribers. So yeah. yeah. So there you go. I mean, and, yeah. and we noticed like, you know, what do you, you know, they're just very, the Shutter crew is grim. It's so funny. You know, a friend of mine wrote me today, someone from California who said, oh, last night I was at this event and I was sitting next to someone who was a producer on, um, Texas Chainsaw movies. And I don't know whether it was the original or I would imagine not the original. Maybe it was some of the other ones. And she goes, and he said to me, you know what makes a good horror movie? And I said, what? And he said, blood, tits, and ass. And I was (laughs) like, you know what? This guy obviously didn't see the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) And I I wish I was sitting next to him because I would tell him, oh, yeah? Well, the horror (laughs) Have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre? (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And the horror community is filled with some of the smartest people Three of them right here. We're looking at our in the world that heart. Yeah, there's a place for tits and ass and blood and guts, but there is so much more to heart than that. And I was like, you know what? All right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, we we've talked about something very similar on the podcast a number of times in terms of so many people make horror movies because they think that they're easy to make because they think all you need is you know just blood and boobs and and that's it and while some of those can be fun they're very rarely good the horror movies that stick with you the horror movies that you know that that the three of us will just nerd out endlessly on for hours upon hours are the ones that have heart and the ones that have a story and the ones that Mm. relate to to real life issues Uh, again our background of social worker psychologist and journalist again not our actual jobs very sadly really wish that was uh, all three of our jobs but with that being who we are at our core we want the movies that we can talk about for a while and hellbender has that just in in it, it, it has it in spades mm-hmm. i mean this movie um i i mentioned this uh during a knoxville horror film fest coverage as well as during the review because we watch so many movies it's very easy to just kind of be like okay yeah it's a great movie it's fine and like not really sink our teeth into things just because of just you know a glut of input and and honestly i'm a little guilty of when i was watching hellbender I've just been like, yeah, it's good. It's fine. But it hit a moment where it's like, no, this isn't just great. Like, it's great. It's not just that it's very well done. This is striking a chord. And uh, and, and I talk about this um, a little bit on the review where the first half of the movie is done so perfectly because that is the first half of the movie that needs to be there to get me as emotionally invested as I was so that as things started to go, um, you know, in more of the supernatural realm, I cared what was happening. You know, like if, if the first half of the movie had had way more of the witchy kind of stuff, I don't think that I would have ended up being as invested. And so, um, you know, while it did take me a little bit to get into it, when it hit, it hit hard. And again, I've been spending way too much time talking about this movie and absolutely adore it and and again like these are the kinds of movies that we love and the fact that you are able to put so much of yourselves into creating them and into giving us just these amazing pieces of art 
thank you thank you so much for for doing what you do we have had just an absolute blast watching the movie and discussing it eric did you have another question i feel like we might have cut you off before you actually <laughs> asked your question no that's a, i mean honestly this is my favorite kind of interview because i've barely even looked at the questions i had written down because it's <laughs> i've just been enjoying the hell out of this conversation um, enjoying the hell bender yes out of the conversation absolutely um honestly the only other one i have is more of a fun question which is um if you were programming a double feature of hellbender and another movie maybe even a triple feature if you want to throw a couple other movies if you're going to program something like two other movies that you think would complement this really well or have some similar themes or something just three movies that would go really well if you're watching them back to back what other movies would you throw in there with hellbender oh that's a fun question <clears throat> I I have an answer. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Um, well, and you mentioned it. I think you mentioned the soundtrack of To the Witch. I love mm-hmm. The Witch. Yeah. And I think it's also about a woman who's coming into her own, um, into her agency. And it's it's a wicked one, you know? And so uh-huh. I think it would go well with, with, with The Witch, for sure. Uh, I would say Carrie. Because she's coming into her power as well. And there's a, a whole lot of blood and fun in that. I would say Raw because Raw yeah. is fun because for, like Hellbender, you um, are not sure what's going on a little bit. You're like, what exactly is going on? And slowly it's revealed like, oh, these guys are cannibals and they've been, you know, it's like it's really fun. So I, I think Raw would go good with it. Have you seen her new one yet, Titan? Yes. Yes. Oh. I haven't I seen that yet. That for about an hour after watching it, just being like, I'm not sure what I just saw, but I'm enthralled by this film. Yes. I can't wait for Zelda to see it. So we I can't, can't wait to about it. Oh. It's disturbing. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> disturbing and it's beautiful. And then like I was talking to somebody about it and I was like, I'm not sure there was any other point than just to disturb me. And it was in very successful at disturbing me. But you gotta say in Titan, those actors are marvelous. Just marvelous. Like especially the fire chief. Oh, yes. I mean the girl is marvelous, but the fire chief for me. I just felt for him so much and I didn't understand, like, I can't say I really understand what was going on, but I watched it from the beginning to end wanting to know. And then when that fireman shows up and his relationship and his acting and his everything about him, man, that was great. He's such a heartbreaking character in that film. So heartbreaking. And it's so weird. It's just so weird. Everything. It's like, it's not like it is reality, but it's totally not. Like, it's just very weird. Like, the whole time you know, she's leaking oil or she's scratching her belly. Maybe Jaws, too. It, I think Hellbender would play well with Jaws. Oh, yeah. Jaws goes with anything. Predator thing do, going on. Do you mean Jaws no, as no, well, no, or do you no, mean no, Jaws 2? <laughs> um, I haven't seen Jaws two in a long time. Would, would, would Jaws two be better? Uh, oh no, I I don't know. But the way that you said Jaws two, I was like, oh, wait, Jaws wait a second, does she well. mean as well or? Oh, no. Jaws well. as well. Ah, yes, ah yes. thank you. Boom. 
<laughs> you, you, uh, very rare does she get slayed. Uh, uh, you, you actually could pair this uh, for for December. Our theme is uh, Mary Gen Xmas, and <laughs> Eric and I both talked about this film before. I we both want, we're going, we both want to talk about the incredibly true adventure, incredible adventures of true girls in love, and oh, then yeah. we're, like, we're like, oh my god, Toby's in that. <laughs> like, oh my god it's so such a darling we're, film we're, we're we're going to do one week on we're going to give out 12 of our favorite relationship films from the 90s and mm-hmm. that's that's one of the ones that's on there oh, <laughs> that's oh very cool yeah speaking of things coming full circle whenever i saw that i was like oh my gosh it's so crazy that we're doing this episode leading directly into when we're going to be talking about <laughs> that movie <Yes. laughs> It's almost like it was fate. Um, All right. We've been talking both far too long and not nearly long enough, but we should probably (laughs) wrap things up, which I hate to do, but I feel like we must. Um, Where do you want everyone to, to, to follow your films and to find out more about your production companies? And like, what what are all of the socials that you want to give out uh, for people to follow you? Our website is wonderwheelproductions.com. Our Instagram handle is adams.family.films. Twitter is adams underscore films. And uh, you can listen to our music uh, on Spotify and Apple Music and watch some of our YouTube videos. Uh, If you just look up Hellbender, but all the E's are sixes. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Get someone to release that on vinyl. I want it on my shelf. <laughs> Actually, there is, uh, it is, it's going to be released in, on vinyl um, in the spring. Yeah. Oh, like, fantastic. Plus, so all the songs from Hellbender are going to be on the vinyl. And then all the songs that hit the floor because you can't, because we had written like 20 something songs. Um, mm. And we only used, I think, like eight actually in the movie. So there's an extra if somebody can do math thank you (laughs) are you able are you able to say who's putting it out yeah ship to shore a company called ship to shore yes yes uh they they uh they do a lot of the 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 joe bob briggs albums from shot yes exactly Mm -hmm. so that's that's the crew so they're really nice and really cool and they're gonna be putting they they do good they do good work that's exciting very nice yeah it's been super nice. Um, all right. Dan, where do you want people to find you? Uh, you can find me over at my Ode to All 90s Films uh, from HBO to Front Row.com. And, yep. and oh. I guess on Twitter, too. But I'm, I'm HBO to Front Row. HBO to Front Row at Twitter. Or at, yeah. That you thing. Know <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and Eric, where do you want people yes. to follow you? Uh, I am on Twitter at the Chimerican. It's T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I'm also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterbox at Eric J A O I. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. And if you enjoy... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're massive nerds. Uh, And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our Hellbender review where we go into even more depth with uh, pretty much everything that we talked about tonight. And be sure to keep coming back 
as we start our Mary Jen Xmas series, where uh, we're going to be doing essentially some countdowns of some, you know, Gen, Gen X themes like romance and damn the man and art and stuff. So pretty much everything that's addressed in Hellbender, but with much worse fashion is what we're going to be talking about. Um, <laughs> dude, dude, no, nice fashion was amazing. I still have all my flannels and my Doc Martens. You Get your mouth. parachute pants. <laughs> Uh huh. Sure. Uh, yeah. So our our holiday uh, series is going to be Mary Jen Xmas, and definitely looking forward to that. All right, uh, John, Zelda, Toby. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. We have had an absolute blast, and just cannot express how much we love this film. How very strongly we recommend that people see it, and uh, just how excited we are for what you have coming next. We Absolutely. can't say how much we appreciate you guys having us and this wonderful conversation. So, <laughs> thank you so much. yeah, you guys are awesome. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thank you. We're going to leave there with some nice fuel to our fire. Yeah. We appreciate That's, it. Yeah, this has been great. And if you guys, hey, if you ever want to come onto our podcast and talk about Tatan or, or Raw or any other movie that you ever think of, <laughs> you're welcome. If you want to come and talk about other people's movies, you can come join us right and, and geek out with us as well. Yeah, you have a standing awesome. invite. You have a standing invite anytime that you want to nerd out about movies. Uh, just hit us up. Let us know. And you are always welcome. Thanks. <laughs> anytime now that I want to learn about what other movies are about that I don't feel like like I, I, I know. <laughs> I know now. <laughs> 317 other movies that you've talked about. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've, we've talked about way too many movies. Uh, and we often feel like we overanalyze movies, so it is very, very encouraging <laughs> when you're like, oh yeah, I'm glad you're picking up on that, because a lot of times, um, you know, we're picking up on things that aren't there. One of my favorite stories, and, and we'll end with this, because it does relate back to Central Cinema. I love this story. It just, it, it makes me happy. They did a uh, an evening with Jack Shoulder, where they did The Hidden and Alone in the Dark, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And, and Jack Shoulder was there, and it was awesome, and just it, such a great triple feature. And this was the first time that I had seen The Hidden or Alone in the Dark. And so, you know, because he was there, he was doing a, a Q&A and, as well. And after Alone in the Dark, again, like great suspenseful horror movie. And uh, one of the things that the psychiatrist in that movie talks about is how these people are on a journey, uh, how they are, you know, kind of lost in their own psyche or whatever. I forget the, the exact uh, elements of it. And so during the Q&A, I asked if, if part of the reason that the movie was called Alone in the Dark was because, like, that's representative of each of these characters and how, you know, they were on this journey, but, but because they were lost, like, they, they were alone in the dark. And he was like, no, they're trapped in a house <laughs> alone and the lights are off. They're literally alone in the dark. <laughs> and this is why he didn't ask the question at York Beauty. <laughs> I, I legitimately love that story because for one, uh, I, I just love the fact that these, these movies are great. 
And he was just like, no, it's literally just Alone in the Dark. Uh, and for two... <laughs> it's a good title. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just a good title. So and, and it works. Uh, and it also highlights how we here at Video Monsters don't take ourselves seriously because I keep telling that story. It's probably the fifth time I've told it on the podcast. So <laughs> it is encouraging to know that we're not always that far off base. All right. We have had an absolute blast and cannot wait for more from the Adams family. So, good night, everybody. Night. Peace, everyone. Fall eats spring, spring eats winter. I'm getting it all wrong. Fall does not eat spring. Fall eats winter, winter eats spring. I mean, fall, summer. you know, by the uh, uh, transitive property, fall does eat spring. I don't know why that was so funny. But that was really funny. <laughs> By the transit property. <laughs> can't math this, Nathan. Yes, I can. Uh, that was that was pretty good. Good stuff.